Good morning, LSBC family. It's good to be with you. It's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we certainly want to pray for all of our, our servicemen and women uh, that are part of the fellowship and that are tuned in today for the message and to thank God for all of those servicemen and women that uh, over the last uh, 250 years or so have given their lives for our freedoms in this country and uh, we are forever grateful for that and we'll be praying about that today. Uh, we also want to lift up the Markwell family uh, this morning. Uh, this weekend, uh, Vicki Markwell's mother passed away, but she was a Christian and um, we're grateful for that and she was in her 80s is my understanding and so uh, a home going has taken place. So in that light, we celebrate uh, the home going of Vicki Markwell's mother. Uh, get ready for June the 14th. It's right around the corner. Over the next seven days, uh, we'll be developing some guidelines for our first service back together, and uh, we'll be sharing those as they come together. Uh, we're not only, uh, it's not as important to me that we're going to provide some physical guidelines, but it's just as important that we get spiritually ready. Um, like we have said so many times in the last week, it's about uh, revival, not about survival, it's about revival. Uh, I hope that many of you have had an opportunity to listen to uh, the video by Pastor YPJ from Indiana because he shares from his heart exactly what God has laid on my heart and he delivers it with the same level or better level of conviction than I could myself. Uh, we're in the Esther series and um, let's pray together before we uh, deliver our message today. Father, I want to thank you in Jesus' name once again for this Memorial Day weekend. I want to thank you, Father, for all of those people that have given their, uh, their uh, lives, Lord, so that we might enjoy uh, the freedoms that we still enjoy in this country today. Father, I want to thank you for those servicemen and women that are alive today and that are serving in the military throughout this world. Watch over them, I pray, and keep them safe, Father, and, and uh, keep them healthy. We pray in Jesus' name, and if they're overseas, I pray that you would watch over them and bring them home at the appointed time safely to their loved ones. In Christ's name we pray. Father, we ask for the Markwell family that you would comfort them today uh, over the loss of Vicki Markwell's mother. Uh, I pray that you would give them the peace that passes all understanding. Give them comfort, Father, by the presence of your Spirit. Lord, we want to lift up June the 14th in the name of Jesus. Prepare us, Father, spiritually and physically for uh, gathering that day at uh, Wayland Baptist University Auditorium. Lead us, guide us, and direct us as plans are made uh, for those services. And we, we just ask in Jesus' name that your wisdom would be manifest in our lives as we prepare for that eventuality. Father, once again, I want to thank you for how you have helped us, Lord, through this time. How you have provided for us spiritually. You have provided for us in the word. You have provided for us financially, Father. You have blessed us and helped us, Father, to keep our bills paid and, and to uh, keep moving forward um, with the business aspect side of this church, this fellowship, Father. You have been so faithful and we thank you for that Lord and we thank you for the faithfulness of your people and how uh, Lord not only have you laid it on their hearts but they have obeyed and they have given and we so we are so grateful for that Father. Lord we just want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you for the book of Esther. 
we thank you for what it has taught us about how you move in our lives, even when we don't see your hand uh, overtly or outwardly, Father, but it's certainly covertly. It, it, it's seen, but it's not seen, Father. We know that none of these things could have unfolded uh, in the book of Esther uh, if your wisdom had not been, been manifest in every chapter, Lord. And we thank you for chapter 9 and chapter 10 today. We pray that you would use uh, these two chapters of this uh, Bible, Father, to change our lives. Open us up and pour your word into us, I pray. Anoint me in the name of Jesus Christ as your servant to give the word. Anoint the ears and the eyes and the understanding of all those who hear this message today. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Um, I don't want to get off a message here, uh, off of course here, but I do want to mention to you that on Monday, uh, since it's Memorial Day, we won't be having our 8 a.m. meeting and we won't be having the 6 p.m. meeting on Monday. Um, we'll resume um, a week from Monday in the book of Galatians for our 6 p.m. meeting a week from Monday. And Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., I've already got a passage of Scripture that God's given me to share with you for notes from the pastor's desk at 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning. And Lord willing, we will be together in this room on camera and sipping coffee together for a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. And, um, and we will be together again then. Esther series. This is message five. This is a conclusion of this series. And we titled the message today, God's Timeline. And I want to, I want to read the passages of scripture all the way through initially. And then we're going to break the story down a little bit. Um, but I don't want to miss what unfolded here. This is so dynamic. So we're going to begin with Esther chapter nine and read that chapter together. And I'm, gonna, I'm giving you a chance, an opportunity here to look it up. You need to see the words of the book for yourself and read along with me. Esther chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Parshandatha and Dalphon and Asapha, and Paratha, and Adelia, and Eridatha, and Parmashtha, and Arisai, and Aradai, and Vazatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they laid no hand on the plunder. plunder. And there's something important about that, that 
I haven't quite figured out because they were given permission to destroy their enemies and to plunder them. But in reality, it appears to me that the Jews simply chose to defend themselves and to deal with the people that hated them or meant them harm, but, but didn't have a desire to plunder those people. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that day a, uh, made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the fifteenth day of the same year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness and days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written, and at, that, at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. The Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, 
And Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth. In these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them. And as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. And the second shortest chapter in the Bible is Esther chapter 10, only three verses. Verse 1, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might and full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Uh, once again, the book of Esther has been so amazing because we, we don't have uh, direct uh, direct indications that God was involved, but it's so loaded with indirect indications that God was involved that we see his hand throughout all 10 chapters um, of Esther. And we see the mighty works of God. And what we see is a dynamic manifestation of God's wisdom leading and guiding Mordecai, leading and guiding Esther. Two people that we know were people that prayed faithfully and regularly and consistently to God the Father, and he gave wisdom liberally to those two people. We have a message goal. I want to read it to you. The goal of this message is to help you connect the dots of your circumstances so you can see the complete picture of God's larger kingdom purpose in our lives, even when he causes or allows things to take place that are negative or even appear to be evil to accomplish his will and plan. As a way of an introduction, there's a, a story here that's it's kind, of a, it's kind of a joke. Don't get excited. We're not endorsing great, big, huge, uh, giant, uh, uh, you know, blessings on people who kill wolves. But let me read the story to you. In Alaska, a story is told that once put a large bounty on the head of every wolf that a hunter killed. Some areas have become overrun with wolves and they needed to decrease their numbers, so they instituted this generous bounty program. A hunter named Bill called his friend John and said, John, we can make a lot of money at $5,000 for every wolf we kill. Are you ready to go hunting with me so we can collect some of this money? John said, absolutely. Let's go. So they got their equipment together to go to the place where they would begin their hunt the next morning. They bunked down for the night in their tents, but in the middle of the night, Bill was awakened by the sound of growling. He turned his lantern on and looked outside to see that the tent was surrounded by about 50 hungry, snarling wolves, all baring their teeth with their tongues hanging out of their mouths. Bill woke up John, said, John, John, look outside, we're rich. <laughs> you see, it's all about your perspective. That's how, um, that's how Bill saw things anyway. You see, it's all about your perspective. It's all about how you see things because sometimes you can be surrounded by circumstances that don't look good, 
They don't appear to be in your favor. Circumstances that look like they're going to devour you, but all it all depends on what you see. When we see the last uh, two chapters of Esther and we begin to consider uh, what's taking place, um, there are three proper perspectives that we should adopt as children of God uh, if you really want to see the indirect hand of God in these stories. And the first point is, if your God is so small, or if your God is too small, you'll live with constant frustration and confusion. So, child of God, if your God isn't big enough to handle your circumstances, whenever things go wrong, you're going to spend all of your time asking over and over again, why? If your God is too small, you need to expand your view of him so you, you can be able to recognize his fingerprints moving in your life circumstances, even in non-obvious ways. We need to be able to see God at work because, as we've learned in this study, sometimes God's providence allows for very unpleasant circumstances. God does not commit or endorse evil if that's a question in your life. But he can use these things to accomplish his greater purposes if we stay focused on him. Our responsibility is to be so aligned with God that we are so aware that we're being moved by him and that he is moving us. It all boils down to, it all boils down to relationship. Never take God for granted. Always strive to be God-conscious in your life about everything that's going on. Against human logic, live a life of gratitude no matter what because God is always at work in our lives and circumstances. So our first point was, if your God is too small, you will live with constant frustration and confusion. But we don't serve a small God. Amen. Don't let your perception of Him be small. Second point. God's always moving to bring his conclusion about at the right time. Once again, got to review the first six verses of Esther chapter 9. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. Timing is everything. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout the pro all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated, who hated them. In Susa, uh, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Jump down to verse 11. The very, that very day, the number of those killed in Susa and the citadel was reported to the king, and the king said to Queen Esther, in Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. 
And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa uh, be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. Apparently, they hung their dead bodies up there for everybody to see because the passage uh, a little earlier told us they had already been killed. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also, this is verse 15, the Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on their plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and uh, 14th day and on the 14th uh, sorry 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day making that a day of feasting and gladness and then verse 19 Therefore the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting <clears throat> as a holiday and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another uh, you know, I've said a couple of times here in making uh, points in this in this message and earlier that it sometimes it seems and appears that God is allowing evil to flourish. But I want to share this story with you. In 1936, Hitler's Third Reich was ruling in Germany. The Olympics were held in Berlin that year. And out came a young man, James Cleveland Owens, better known as Jesse. Hitler said Jesse Owens wasn't human because he was black. But at those Olympics, Owens showed himself to be superhuman. He won gold medals in the long jump, the 100-yard dash, and the 200-yard dash. Hitler got up and walked out, refusing to meet Owens and shake his hand. But that's not all. In the 4x400 relay, there was a Jewish runner from America. The, Nazi refused, the Nazis refused to let him run, so the American team had to make a decision. They decided to pull out the Jewish runner and replace him with Jesse Owens in a race that he had not run before. He, he was to run the first leg of the relay, which meant handing off the baton, which takes real practice and skill. But having never done that, Owens outran everyone on the first leg and did a perfect passing of the baton to the next runner. The team won, and Jesse Owens earned his fourth gold medal in the territory of an enemy kingdom. He showed what he can do when God is on your side. God is situating the evil in the right place so that while he is delivering you, he's handling the evil. God always has a bigger plan than what we're aware of. You just haven't gotten to the day yet to see it worked out. God is so precise in his movements that as we're living under his rule, he will sometimes let things seem worse or seem to get worse in order that he can make them better. The tragedy today is that far too many Christians climb the secular ladder of success and don't make a kingdom connection to their reason for being there. Every time God comes through for us, you and I must ask the question of God, what spiritual influence do you want me to wield with the opportunity you've given me? God's will demands our involvement. This is spiritual warfare, which means we must be involved. 
You know what it says? Be reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over uh, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. Begin in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So sometimes you got to understand we have efforts in what God's doing. We've got a part to play. We shouldn't do anything outside of what God is leading us to do in our own efforts, but we should do what God tells us to do. Uh, in Exodus chapter 17, we have a story in verses 8 through 16 where the children of Israel are going to go out and do battle. And the leadership is involved doing one part, and then there's the actual people out in the field that are fighting the battle. Exodus chapter 17, we're going to begin reading with verse 8. Then Amalek came out and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. They propped him up is what they did. And Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Sometimes waiting on God uh, doesn't mean doing nothing. Uh, however, it also means not going outside of God to do something on your own. You've got to be following God's edicts and instructions. But sometimes we get off into doubt, fear, and unbelief, and we try to help God out. What did we learn in an earlier study? We learned that God had prom promised uh, Abraham 
a son, even in his old age. But Abraham and Sarah got thinking about it. Well, we're, we're old. We're like in our 90s. Uh, we can't have a child on our own. We're getting old. Uh, we, God hasn't fulfilled his promise. So Sarah came up with the idea of giving her servant Hagar to Abraham to have a child. And Ishmael was born. Right away, it created problems for Abraham and Sarah's marriage. Not to mention the fact that that created the Arabs in the Middle East. And then when God uh, gave uh, Abraham his spiritual son in the flesh, uh, when he was too old to bear children, uh, you know, it wasn't an effort on Abraham and Sarah's part. It was effort on God's part. He told them he made the promise to them that he would give them the child. And they lost faith and decided to have a child through Hagar. And now you've got that big, huge, giant family feud over in the Middle East between uh, Israel and all of the Arabs in the Middle East, and all because someone did not patiently wait on God to fulfill his word. They didn't wait on God's timing. Now, so, uh, having deviated from the message here, I'll reel it back in. Waiting on God does not mean doing nothing. However, it also means not going outside of God to do something on our own. We've got to be listening to God. We must be people of prayer. Now, where does that lead us? That leads us up to the third point where listen carefully to this point because it has to do with part of our preparation for getting back together physically as a church. Uh, there's spiritual preparation for that. So the first point was if your God's too small, you'll live with constant frustration and confusion. The second point was God's always moving to bring his conclusion about it the right time. We just got to be patient. Amen. And listen to this third point, because it's vastly different from the first two points, but it's life and death important. Don't get rid of just part of your sin. Get rid of the cancer of sin so it won't come back on you later. I'm going to read that again. Don't get rid of just part, just a part of your sin. Get rid of the cancer of sin so it won't come back on you later. Um, this whole book of Esther and the dynamic message that it gives us really in reality didn't have to happen. If the children of Israel had destroyed King Agag and all of his people 400 years earlier, like they were ordered by God to do, kill them all. It sounds terrible. It sounds awful. I, but I make no apologies for God's instructions. I, I, I wouldn't begin to try to make apologies for God's instructions. You just have to obey God. God knew that those same people, generations later, would be a thorn in the side of the children of Israel. Not only were they a, a thorn is irritating, uh, what these people were in the book of Esther to the children of Israel were enemies that were determined to destroy them and completely remove them from the face of the earth. Thank God he was merciful and worked through Mordecai and worked through Esther to deliver the nation of Israel from these evil people. So there was sin involved in disobedience 400 years earlier on the part of the children of Israel for not destroying King Agag like God told them to do. And so we have the magnificent book of Esther. Why? Because God still works. God still moves. God still has plans. Don't tell me this nation can't turn around because God turned this situation around on the day that, that on the day before the children of Israel were to be destroyed in Persia. 
uh, God turned everything around. All right. So don't get rid of just part of your sin. Get rid of the cancer of sin so it won't come back on you later. In a story with a bizarre twist, some years ago, health officials in South Africa were worried about plans to build a housing complex on a site of a long-closed hospital. The facility had treated people with infectious diseases and several thousand smallpox victims were thought to be buried somewhere on the site. Since burial records were not clear, the possibility of a bulldozer accidentally opening a smallpox victim's grave raised the disturbing question of whether the virus of a once-dread disease may still be alive in a casket. The situations, this situation gives us a very good picture of sin. In this case, there's no question that the virus of sin is still alive and well and likely to show up anywhere to do its destructive work if we don't deal with it radically. Now, reminder, Esther chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. And also killed Parshandatha, and Dolphon, and Asthatha, and Paratha, and Adalia, and Aradatha, and Paramashtha, and Arasay, and Aradai, and Viazatha, the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. The fate of Haman and his sons is a vivid reminder of what God's judgment looks like when people cross the red line and are unrepentant. The reason we're having such serious moral and spiritual issues today is because sins in the past didn't get fully dealt with. So they keep coming up again and again. We've got to cut sin out of our lives. If parents don't invest spiritually in their children, they're actually perpetuating sin. We're seeing this nationally, and we're seeing it generationally. We're seeing it over and over again because people don't want to call it evil. When we're obedient, when we have done what God has called us to do, we see his kingdom program advanced. Then we can celebrate his power and his providence. Esther chapter 9, begin reading verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from the morning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor so that the Jews accepted what they had started to do, and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that this evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term purr. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written at the time, of the appointed, at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation and every clan, every province in the city, 
and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority, confirming the uh, this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim and it was recorded in writing. In Esther chapter 10, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the uh, coastlands of the sea and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So let's see if we've got this clear uh, in our understanding. Not only did God give great victory to the children of Israel over their enemies throughout this uh, Persian empire that had conquered the Jews earlier and taken many captive and brought them into the Persian empire. Um, in this empire now, a conquered people, the Jews, were given permission by the ultimate authority in the land to fight, to kill, defend themselves. They were also given the right to plunder all the people that, that they took their lives. They could have taken everything from their families, but they didn't choose to do that. Now, why do you think that in verse 1 of Esther chapter 10, says King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea? How many, how many of you realize that to have a big giant celebration it costs money? So for the celebrations that the Jews were going to do, the king imposed a tax on the Persian Empire to raise money to pay for all that celebrating. So not only did the enemies of the Jews die, uh, the Jews were able to defend themselves. They were given the right to plunder those families and they didn't do it. But the king raised taxes in the land to pay for all that celebrating. I mean, that's mind-boggling how God can take a situation and turn it around the way he does. So if you think for one moment there's, not hope, there's no hope for this nation today, you're mistaken. And not only you're not helping, not only that, you're not helping the situation any. Let's be people of prayer. Let's be people of faith. Let's be people of the word. And let's believe in a big God. Let's believe in a God that's able to carry out his will, his plan, and there is no nation that he can't turn around in. So, victory over evil is evidently cause for celebration. Can you say amen? We should be quick to testify and share the story of God's provision in our lives to everyone and pass the stories along to future generations. The celebration of Purim was for the Jews to remind themselves that God is a providential God. If we fail to pay attention to what God is doing, we can easily miss out on the unforeseen blessings. <clears throat> I'm reminded about a story about a rock or gems and minerals show that took place 
a number of years ago in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, featuring gems and minerals for sale, a gem dealer was strolling through the aisles when he spotted a blue-violet stone about the size of a potato lying in a bin with other stones. He offered the seller $15 for the stone and was told he could have it for 10 The stone turned out to be a 1,905-carat natural star sapphire with an appraised value of $2.28 million. And somehow that story just brings a smile to my face. Why? Because it's, it's easy to overlook things of great value if you don't know what to look for. We should train ourselves to look for the activity of God even in seemingly commonplace and even impossible-looking situations. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you once again for the book of Esther. I want to thank you for this series of five messages. Father, I, I just pray in Jesus' name. I, I even see today that the, the last point of the last message is providential in our lives for helping us get prepared for coming back together on June the 14th uh, physically. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, our minds, our bodies. First of all, boost our faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Give us your wisdom to know what to do. Give us faith, Father, and multiply the faith you've already given us. Grow it, strengthen it. May we pray every day of our lives, Father, that you continue to kill the coronavirus, but more importantly, that that your plans get fulfilled for this nation. And thank you, Father, for repentance, and we thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Father, for preparation for gathering on June the 14th. Once again, in our closing prayer today, Father, we thank you for all of the men and women who have paid the ultimate price for our freedoms. This memorial weekend, Father, that we set aside so that we may never forget, Father, the price that, that they've paid we thank you for the men and women that are serving in this world today, throughout this world. The American military is spread out over this planet more so than any other military of any other nation on this planet. Father, we thank you for your blessing that causes that uh, to be in place, and we thank you for those people. And Father, once again, we thank you for helping the Markwell family, Lord. And uh, Father, we just pray that you would continue to work in our lives, continue to turn the soil of our hearts, Father, so that when the seed of your word falls on that soil, that it's, it's, it's uh, watered with the power of prayer, that the ground's been prepared, that it's not shallow, it's not uh, hard-packed, and the wind doesn't blow the seed away, the birds can't come and eat it, uh, that the seed is planted and watered, Father, and brings forth a mighty harvest in our lives is my prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, praise God. Thank you for tuning in with us today. I hope that this series of messages has meant to you what it's meant to me. A very powerful life lesson for us as children of God. Remember that we will not be gathering at 8 a.m. in the morning, and we will not be gathering at 6 p.m. on Monday evening, but we will uh, restart on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., for notes from the pastor's desk, and we'll resume our Galatians Bible study a week from tomorrow night at 6 p.m. God bless you. Remember that you're greatly loved, that God has a plan for your life. He has desires that he wants to fulfill, 
And uh, may we be empowered by his spirit to look uh, sternly and consistently and uh, just, you know, with a tenaciousness. Don't be like a bulldog that clamps down and bites and doesn't want to let go and just hang on in the name of Jesus. Amen. So God bless and uh, we'll see you again soon.